Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you for, uh, for coming out to hear me speak tonight. I, I've mentioned more than once, I think, that I've, I, I enjoy digging into the, the Acts chapters quite a bit. And when I first read chapter 15, it, it kind of seemed like there wasn't all that much meat there. Wasn't, uh, it, it, didn't, it didn't strike me as something a lot of fun to, to speak on at first. But then, like, like all things, once you start to read and study and look into it a little bit, there's, there's a lot more to it. Right? So uh, I hope you enjoy what we uh, work on tonight as much as, as I'm going to enjoy delivering the message. So uh, let's dive in, shall we? <clears throat> Starting here in Acts 15 and verse 1, it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now recall in, in chapter 14, that the Jews were stirring up the non-believers and persuading the masses, and, and in Lystra, they stoned Paul. Um, well, that's pretty terrible. Uh, rocks thrown at you until you die, uh, or at least till they think you're dead, like in this case here. They dragged what they thought was his lifeless body out of town and dumped him. But he came to, and he got out of there, and he went to Derby with, with Barnabas. So as I kind of like to do in a lot of these chapter studies, I really want to step into the social situation here. There were still a lot of Jews at this time that hated everything about what the Christians were doing, and they wanted them exterminated. On the other hand, or on the other end of the scale, you've got converts to Christianity who were firm in their faith in, in Christ. They were believers. They they'd converted. And I think that there was a whole spectrum of people in between, you know, all in and all out, and kind of one foot in the door and one foot out of the door, didn't quite know exactly how they ought to behave. I think, think we had quite a bit of that. So at first read of, of verse 1 here, my instincts kind of roll my eyes and go, ah, here we go again, hard-headed Jews, they just can't let things go, they're just not getting the message, they're just troublemakers stirring things up. They are wrong, of course, in this message where they say, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved, that is wrong. And that gets sorted out here. Uh, we'll see in a few verses, but I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and look at this basically without accusation. So what I mean is I want to consider their reason for speaking up as an honest one, uh, one with good intent rather than thinking they're just troublemakers. I think that they believe this to be true, and they had the guts to stand up for what they believed in. And again, they're wrong in this thinking here, but we should all strive to be so bold to speak out for Jesus and to say the hard things that people need to hear in order to be saved. It's a noble act. It's an incredibly difficult one sometimes. So right off the bat, that's one lesson I find in this is, though this is not directly like a, an example we're to emulate here, but I just find that, that lesson of speaking to what you believe uh, is, is really important. But certainly, we need to have that heart. We need to speak up on behalf of the salvation for others. Now, another lesson that I see here is understanding. So like I said, they're wrong, and this gets resolved. And uh, we'll, we'll have some key takeaways from how the leadership handles this conflict as we read on. But I want to frame our thoughts for, for that discussion with this position of, of an understanding. So these Jews believed in Jesus, and they were clearly grappling with change, working through something that was very hard for them to do. Because it's not like, like most Christians that you may, may know or be aware of that, that have converted at some point in their life. A lot of them didn't even have religion until they finally heard the message and accepted it. And in this case, for these guys, this was a change of their identity. 
And I probably wouldn't have even recognized like that being a lesson in, in this verse here <clears throat> if it wasn't 2023, because uh, it's pretty nutty out there. Changing how you identify, it's kind of like normal and the right thing to do right now for some reason, but I just, just, just think of how you identify, like literally the things that describe you as a person. All right? So I'm a Christian, I'm a white man, which is basically the devil to some people. I'm a conservative with a job that believes in hard work and American values and I'm sure a whole bunch of other things that society tells us are horrible and wrong. I can't imagine changing who I am. Now, here's a group of people whose human identity is the law of Moses. They're God's people, and they've lived for generations under this law, and it makes up their identity. Right? So just as Christ's church had understanding when they set, set the matter straight here, they had understanding with this, where they're coming from, that's a lesson we need to learn. We, too, need to have understanding in our dealings with people. Now, I'm not saying acceptance of sin at all, but understanding where people are coming from because you can't get through to them without starting from there. Now, verse 2 <clears throat> says, Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Paul and Barnabas, as you'd expect, stood firmly on the issue. They did not accept this incorrect claim, and they, of course, had to speak out against it. To dissent means to openly disagree with the majority opinion, right? So where it says they had no small dissension and dispute, that's kind of an eloquent way of saying that they oppose this statement big time. Right? They, they said absolutely not. They're standing up to this. Now, this is a matter of salvation, right? So it must be handled rightly and completely. And standing up to it right then and there is important. That doesn't mean it 100% sets the record straight. So they had this gathering in Jerusalem to deal with the topic. <clears throat> Verse 3 says, So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, again, Jews who have converted, they're Christians, but they were Pharisees. They are Pharisees. They're the, the sect of Christians who were Pharisees. Uh, this is Pharisees who believed, those who believed and became Christians. They rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, the traveling part here, missionary trips, they become a way of life for them. Um, so if the apostles are traveling to a meeting with a purpose, and of course they're going to make full use of their time and route. So they stopped in to check on these congregations on the way and specifically to talk, you know, of the Gentiles who had believed and been saved. And it, was, it says it was joyful news to the brethren. So naturally, they get to Jerusalem and they give the same info. They've, they've been leading Gentiles to salvation and, and God is doing great works through them. But this debate over circumcision was still on. They were like, yeah, 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 but it's necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. <clears throat> Some of the Christians, as I said, were Pharisees. They came from a life of being religious leaders. They had established control and authority over others and old habits die hard. Some of these Jews that were now followers of Christ, uh, they wanted to inject their way of life into it and sort of make their own brand of Christianity. This was a problem that they had to root out in the early church. It doesn't say that they just sort of merely suggested that maybe they should do some of the old law or, or yeah, I think it's, it's still important to be circumcised or, you know, we're, we're not sure, so, you know, to be safe, maybe they should do it our way. No, they stood firm in their belief. Just because it says they rose up, 
That means they, they took their stand on the matter. They accepted that it was going to be an argument, and they intended to win it. They said, they thought, they believed that it was necessary. Well, that's the root of the problem. It's contrary to the doctrine of Christ. We could go through a lot of scripture about how Jesus fulfilled the old law, nailed it to the cross, freeing us from that burden, but we're just in verse 5 here. So what I want to focus on is this meeting and their path to resolution, what they did to deal with this problem. Uh, Carrying on in verse 6, the Bible says, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Saying here again, after much dispute, you know, we know this is a serious and heated debate, and they're just kind of, it's just making that apparent. They're, They're arguing and, and debating and, and disputing over it. Well, passionate people about God that are not on the same page, there's not much else you can expect other than dispute. Yet this dispute being a really heavy argument, besides that, we, we can know that they were still maintaining civility. Right? So there's another lesson here and an example that we have in their behavior. Peter addresses them respectfully. He says, men and brethren, and his words are listened to. Very heated, very, very heavy debate here, but they're acting as church members should and working it out. Uh, they're not stoning anybody. <laughs> Peter is referring, as, as he says here, um, you know, that God chose out of them his mouth to deliver the word, the, the gospel to the Gentiles, and give them the Holy Spirit. What he's describing here was what we read about um, in Acts 10. Uh, lost my place. Yeah, he was led by God to deliver the gospel message to Cornelius, a Gentile. And through that, he learned, and, and they, as he told the story of it, learned that God intends for all nations to be preached to. They're all invited to be his children. Peter was witness to Cornelius and his family and his friends being recipients of the Holy Spirit, just like they had been. So nobody there is denying that God chose Peter to break that wall down. And that by his mouth, by Peter's mouth, the word of the Gentiles, the word would would reach the Gentiles. For as long as I can remember, kind of a sidebar here, but I I thought Acts 10 and 13, where the voice from heaven tells Peter to rise, kill, and eat, I thought it was about food. I know, like, Justin's got his maps, and I got my constant barbecue references, but I seriously thought he was being told that, you know, go have some bacon. He's like, bacon's good. But that's why context matters, um, by the way, and, and studying is important. So if you miss that chapter study, the bottom line here is that Peter was shown by God that the Gentiles were not unclean and that the Jews need to take, think dif- differently about them. Peter didn't really understand that at first when he saw this vision and was being spoken to uh, until he found this opportunity. The Lord kind of divinely arranged this meeting and he would go to Cornelius and get the opportunity to, to speak to him and and witness their, uh, their redemption and the, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, then, it, then it sank in. It's like, all right, I get it now. The Gentiles, are, they're Christians too. They're, they're not beneath us. Well, this was an incredibly important event in our history. And I want to gloss over the fact that Peter is standing and reminding them of, of this 
instance, and that's like a pivotal moment in this debate. It, it totally changes things. <clears throat> so in verse 10, it says, Now therefore, uh, Peter again speaking here, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So it's on the basis of the fact that God extended the gospel message and the gift of salvation to the Gentiles, that arguing that the Gentiles must bear the burden of the old law doesn't make any sense. So the Jews understood that um, living under the old law was a command by God. That's, that's what they did to appease God. That's what they did towards salvation. Uh, but the believing Jews understand that Jesus was the trump card. Jesus um, fulfilled the old law, and they knew they couldn't bear the law anyway. Nobody was able to do it. Not them, not their fathers. They were unable to bear it. They could not execute it perfectly. And so it doesn't make any sense because they know that uh, through Peter, God delivered the message and, and gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. They had never lived under the old law. They were not living under the old law. It's not necessary. Besides, nobody was able to do it good enough anyway. <clears throat> they recognize this. They, they believe that Jesus supersedes it all now. So it doesn't matter. It's the grace we receive through Christ that saves us. Nothing more. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So Peter says his, his piece, sets the stage up there. Barnabas and Paul begin to also describe things that they've been doing for the Gentiles. In verse 13 it says, And after they became si- and after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as, as it is written. Now, they're listening, they're thinking, they're reasoning with themselves here. Paul and Barnabas are reinforcing the message and, and sharing God's works uh, through them among the Gentiles. So they're basically kind of speechless at this point. Right? They're, they're making a, a solid point here, and they're, and they're listening. And then James, the brother of Jesus, who was very influential in the church at that time, who's referring here in verse 14, he says, Simon, he's talking about Peter, Simon's original name, Simon Peter. He says that that Simon Peter's declaration of how God has brought the Gentiles into the fold, it agrees with, it's in accordance with the Old Testament scripture that they all knew. And he cites Amos 9 here, uh, starting in verse 15, he says, and with the words of the prophets, and with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. It's Amos 9 and 11. Verse 18. James, continuing on here, says, Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. He says here that that God knows what he's doing, right? Known to God from eternity are all his works. God's got a plan. He's executing it. So... When we've got Gentiles heeding his call and turning towards him, we shouldn't be interfering with that. 
We shouldn't be imposing customs and traditions that were never theirs, that nobody could keep anyway, while God is busy doing His will and redeeming the Gentiles through Christ. Rather than impose it, he says, um, verse 20, they ought to be teaching them the tenets of Christianity and helping them keep, keep them on the narrow way, preaching to them regularly all the things that Christ would have them do, just like they're accustomed to as the law of Moses has been preached to them for generations. Now, I need to comment a little bit on these four prohibitions here. There's, you know, there's some kind of some theory out there, but these were things that were part and parcel to some of this uh, idol worship, these, these feasts, these idol feasts. And um, to, the, uh, to the Jews, what they were doing was just disgusting and horrifying. I mean, it was. And so we're trying to unify the church here. Now, this isn't saying only do not these things. Everything else is fine. Just don't do these things. They were just calling these out, like, the, like especially Paul in a lot of his writing does, to call out some specific problems to the specific audience. Right? So that's, that's really all there is to that. It's just uh, it's some, some stuff they needed to deal with. Preach to them what they need, not what they don't need. It's the bottom line here. Verse 22, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So, it's agreed. There will be no requirement for the Gentiles to obey the old law. There's really no need for anyone to, but most of the Jews kept their traditions anyway. They're just not going to impose it. And wisely, as they send out the message to teach this, you know, this new agreement, this new fact that they're going to share, they group people that were on both sides of the argument. It's demonstrating unity and validity to that teaching. <clears throat> and then they wrote a letter about it as well. It says in Acts 15 and 23, they wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of you went out from us, uh, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from, the, the, from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. They send the delegates out to share the message, and they reinforce it in writing with letters to the congregations. <clears throat> in verse 30, we read, So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words, and after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. Now truly this notion of requiring people to uphold the Mosaic law was, was a serious threat to Christianity and salvation for everywhere, including you, especially me because of the whole bacon thing. Like It's a, it's a big deal. But seriously, it was a really bad thing that they put a stop to. So rejoicing over that makes a lot of sense. But what's happening here 
is that the Jews and Gentiles, they're suddenly, they suddenly realize they're equal in Christianity. It may seem odd to us that there could be lesser Christians or that God would prefer one person more than another, but that was the mindset. Right? God is no respecter of persons, but people absolutely have that fault. So equality should be celebrated when it gets recognized as it does here. <clears throat> Verse 34. However, it seemed good to, si- to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Uh-oh. More disputes. Barnabas wants to bring John Mark, and Paul is fully against it. He's identifying here that, that John Mark, it, it was this John Mark who bailed on them in Pamphylia while they were out doing the work. In Acts 13, verse 13, it says, Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, this is the guy, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. I guess, I guess that burned Paul pretty, pretty good. I don't know. We, we, we don't know why that was such a problem, but uh, anyway, Paul wasn't having it. He, he didn't want to bring him. In verse 39, it says, Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So this was an impasse for both of them. Barnabas would not agree to leave Mark, and Paul would not agree to take him. And that's a pretty sad scenario, really. Uh, it's quite surprising to me that they couldn't settle one way or the other. I mean, really, how bad could it be to, to have him with you? I don't understand. But the Lord's work benefited from it because the result was two parties going out to see churches instead of just one. Barnabas goes back to his native Cyprus, uh, but Luke's writings are going to follow along with Paul from here, so we don't really know what Barnabas and, and John Mark did, what they accomplished, my, my guess would be a lot. Now this chapter, as we close here, I think it shows a very human side of the body of Christ. People are going to make mistakes. People are going to disagree. Feelings are going to get hurt. That's no small thing. That can destroy lives. It can destroy salvation. You know, from a salvation standpoint, we've got to be very careful to not alienate anyone or make them feel unwelcome or berate them for their mistakes. But it is critically important that we are delivering God's message and never our own. It is critically important that we do everything right. We know we have failed. We may fail over and over again in our journey. You know, but those failures are covered by Jesus' blood. We're not going to be condemned by it. But you can't accept the salvation while you're working against it. You can't have one foot in the door and one foot in whatever else it may be, whether it's Judaism or the world. We have to turn towards Christ, and we have to turn away from our own ideas and our desires. And so I think that's a, an appropriate thought to end this on as we offer the, the invitation. As we stand and sing, we, we want to invite anyone that uh, maybe needs to be reeled back in a little bit, maybe needs to uh, talk about some mistakes, maybe needs just help, prayers, or if you aren't in the fold and need to obey and and be baptized and be saved. We want you to come and make your wishes known as we stand and sing.